This is Color Speak, unveiling truth for light. Hi, I'm your host, Janet Huxley, author J.M. Huxley. Welcome to this podcast to unveil truth and uplift you. If color is a product of light, it stands to reason God is color. If light is where you'll find truth, truth is where you'll find color. Color may not be the physical truth of an object. It may be perspective, but the truth of color is not limited to the allegorical. Color is God. It's his love for you. Have you ever thought of color this way? Color celebrates what God has done from the beginning and what he is still doing. Color cheers us on. It represents so much. It symbolizes the father's love for his children. It exemplifies the Savior's promises, and it stands for the spirit at work inside us and around us. We may not see color function in the shadows, but that doesn't mean it isn't available for us there. All it needs is a little light to start vibrating and shifting. When light hits an object, it causes it to rearrange its electrons in a process called transition. In short, it causes color to be seen. Color is all about perspective. Unfortunately, many of us allow our perspectives to be swayed by the darkness. We have power over it but we still give in to it. We walk through the shadows and embrace them needlessly because we stay on the fence, refusing to make a choice for good or evil. And when that happens, we often make a choice for the latter. Our guest today is here to talk with me about her mission to promote your relationship with the light, Jesus Christ. Lynn Baber is a best-selling Christian author. She has six number one bestsellers in her arsenal. She's a serial entrepreneur and equine professional serving the ministry nearest. From God's word to stallions, everything is personal. She uses her background in corporate America, small business, and as a motivational speaker to combine God's truth with daily life using creative or unusual illustrations and sometimes a bit of humor. I'm so excited to welcome Lynn to Color Speak today. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Janet. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I am looking forward to it. I am so happy to get to know you here. Well, first, I have to ask you, you are a world and national champion horse trainer and breeder, and you've judged shows in the US and Europe. Tell me a little bit about that. Oh, my goodness. Well, it was so exciting um, in, in some ways, although I will just tell you that the life of a judge is not what most people think. <laughs> when you are working, and if you've ever been to a horse show, people, and it's a big one, boy, listeners, I'll tell you, it sounds glamorous. But when you're a judge, you show up and you have to be dressed just so. Huh. And you usually start at seven o'clock in the morning and often you will judge until one or two o'clock the next morning. And oh. you're lucky if they feed you lunch. <gasps> oh, no, that does not sound <laughs> glamorous at all. That sounds arduous. Well, oftentimes we have an idea of what something is. But then when you actually walk that path yourself, you find out that the truth is much different. Oh, for sure. Well, and I thought it was hard judging high school speech and debate tournaments. So that sounds like it's a lot. Wow. Well, and you have some best-selling books, four of them, in fact, promoting relationships with God and horses. What is that all about? The Gospel Horse Series. What that is about, Janet, it is is helping people really understand relationships because we're so complex, we tend to see things, you know, from our own perspective. And, and actually, no one can see themselves completely objectively. So when the intent behind those is to help people enjoy the relationship with their horses that they've dreamed of, as well as understand their relationship with the Lord. The problems, this will sum it up in, in, a, in, a, in a, just a slight little story. One day I got off one of my horses and I just parked him. I didn't tie him up. My horses were supposed to stay where I put them. <laughs> so I, I parked him and I took off the bridle and, you know, toddled down that, the breezeway to put it away in, in the tack room. And then I came out, I looked down about 30 feet to where he was standing. And I said, you know what, why should I go to there and haul that saddle back? So I looked at him. He's not tied up, nothing on his head. And I just, I inclined myself enough without saying a word 
he knew I was saying, please come here. Wow. And he he looked at me and his eyes were bright. I had his complete attention. His ears were just focused on me, but his feet didn't move. Oh. I was like, oh my goodness. So then I actually said, come. And he just was so happy and content and looked at me and he knew exactly what I wanted. But he he still didn't come. And at that <laughs> moment, at that moment, the Holy Spirit says, see that face? That's you sometimes. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. you know exactly what I want. You don't have a problem. You're perfectly content. You're paying attention. And yet your feet don't move. So those books really are to give us a different perspective. So are they novels or are they nonfiction? Oh, no. They are are short chapters for most of them, and they go through real-life horses, real-life situations, life-and-death situations, show-ring situations, you know, tragedy, success, you know, the things other people run into with their horses. So every single thing there actually happened. I think that's so interesting. And here's the thing I shared with this with you earlier, I really thought we would have horses on this farm. That was the goal when my husband and I first married, he thought we were going to do horses for kids with special needs. And so we got property moved to the south of Kansas City. And he already knew he was severely allergic to horses and had to take medication for that when he was a kid because his neighbors had horses. Well, our neighbors have horses out here in the country. And we knew pretty fast that unfortunately, I too was allergic to horses. Now, the weirdest thing about that was I did have horseback riding lessons as a kid, and I had a friend that had horses. So it was so strange to have such severe allergies to horses when we moved here. So it was a clear sign from the Lord that that wasn't his plan for us. But I've always admired them and looked at them from afar now, since I get hives like crazy, even just holding a carrot out to a horse. But I find those creatures so deep. And I had read a book years ago, and you may know the one that I'm talking about. I don't remember the title of it, but it was phenomenal. It changed the way I was thinking about horses. It changed the way I've thought about horses for the rest of my life and will so for the rest of my life. It was about a horse who was taught to read. And it was about the turn of the 19th century. And I know Roosevelt was drawn to this horse. And it was shown at a fair that he could read like they would have people come into the audience, supposedly. Apparently, this was all on the level that they would ask questions and the horse would respond by choosing different letters of the alphabet out of pockets that were lined up in front so that he could spell words and respond. I mean, it was the most crazy thing. And I know which book you're talking about. And if if, it's, if I could think of the title, I would just offer it right out. But I can't, of course. That is true. And, and yeah. a former slave, a black man who had worked for a veterinary or a doctor. Yes, yes. This horse, when it was born, was very, very sickly. And this man took him into his home and raised him like a child. I know it sounds weird, but this man said to himself, he knew, and I believe this 100%, I have seen it so many times, that animals can rise to the level of relationship that you offer them. And this man did not admit a limitation. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, yes. the horse's name was Jim. I actually have probably two copies on my shelf because people have given me them as gifts. Um, but it is a fabulous thing. Yes. I know we'll figure it out and I'll put the title in the show notes. To go back to, to your love for horses and the plan that you had, as you said, it was a clear sign from God that that was not the path he had you on. And here's something listeners, yeah, it really was. that I want to share with you because the reason I got to do horses for over 30 years is because I'm one of those, I was the little girl who was born loving horses. It, it was, it's part of my DNA. Mm-hmm. And when I got my, I didn't get my first horse till I was over 30 years old. I'd ridden and I'd been around horses, but never my own. And the Lord knows exactly how to motivate us. So he gave me the opportunity to get into horses and he allowed me to be successful in them. 
because he knew that there's there's no way you'll ever ever hit the limit the ceiling of what's possible with a horse just as you'll never hit the ceiling of what's possible with the Lord Jesus Christ and the horses is is how he trained me and it's the carrot that he used to get me to the point where he could then ask me to go into ministry I love that for you. And I love that that's how you were wired. And I think sometimes God has a greater purpose for us. And the way he's wired us is to do something. And simultaneously, he allows us to have other hobbies on the side and, and enjoyments that he really hasn't purpose for us to do. So what I mean by that is, I also grew up loving horses. And my friend Stacy Sakata had horses out in the country, you know, Levenhine, east of San Diego. And I begged my parents mercilessly for a horse. Well, of course, that wasn't going to work down close to the coast in San Diego. That just wasn't going to happen. But I always dreamed of having horses. So to find out that I'm not able to do that was disappointing. But I also recognized in it, he gave me that love, but that's not my purpose. That's not my wiring. And I think if I had tackled horses here, I would have become so absorbed and so in tune with that, I may have missed other opportunities. And so ultimately, we ended up doing goats. And (laughs) goats is a a very pale comparison to horses, let me tell you. But here's the thing. So I understand. uh, Yes. But here's the thing. He did teach me about him through goats. I mean, that was the impetus for writing my first book because I'm out in the barn one day just mocking stalls and thinking things over and talking to him and saying, wow, I can like the Old Testament was so weird to me before doing this. I didn't really get it. But it's sort of coming to life now because now I understand these little babies that we love so much it would just be unthinkable to raise them up for slaughter and to make sure they were perfect so that I could sacrifice for my sins. So, you know, I'm connecting all of the dots. But moreover, what I found from goats is just the way that they respond is so allegorical. Like you said, you found with horses, we are just like dumb sheep and goats. However, goats, you know, a lot of people have asked me over the years, well, what do you think about the Bible talking about the separation of sheep and goats? What's that all about? And I said, I can tell you what that's all about. Goats will follow whoever has the grain. They will listen to any voice. They will be led astray so easily. Case in point was years ago, some teenagers at a local high school as a prank stole several of our goats overnight and placed them in various locations around town. They thought that was so funny. Well, I don't think a sheep would have gone with them because my understanding, now I don't have sheep, but my understanding is a sheep follows only the master's voice. If it's so, the good if it's the good shepherd, it, yes. Yes, if it's the good shepherd. So it's interesting that you can see so much allegory and, and make those connections, which are wholly appropriate to do. Because I think that if you just get back out to nature and allow yourself some discussion time with God, he'll show you things that you would miss otherwise. Oh, I so absolutely agree. When when I get outside, there's no there's nothing between me and the Lord. There's no ceiling, there's no concrete. It's it's undivided. Something I want to share uh, about what horses taught me. And this is absolutely, as you say, allegorical or illustrative of the gospel and our relationship with the Lord. Horses, you can change a horse's nature. When you become a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are transformed. Why? You're transformed by the relationship, by putting something there that then changes your hard wiring. You don't react the way you used to react to things. The world is different, and so are you. This can also happen with horses. So very quickly, horses have two sides of their brain. They have the thinking side, and they have the reacting side. So if you think about horses as being spooky, or running off or kicking or all these things. Yes, they can do that because they sense something's dangerous and they will react before they think because that's how they kept from being eaten for centuries and millennia. But through relationship and by learning to trust in a worthy leader, they can change that and no longer act out of that normal, innate, hardwired sense of self-preservation. My horses learned that when something happened that would send another horse into the next county, 
<laughs> they would look to me and they would look me right in the eye and they would basically ask, should I be concerned? And I would say no. And then they'd be like, okay, fine. So amazing things could happen and my horses would never be concerned because I was not concerned because I never lied to them ever. A commitment, right. a commitment was to the death. So when you, when I can see that a horse can have its very nature changed, it is not a leap for me to believe that God can change our nature. Well, and you spent time with them. And that's what our God does. The one mm -hmm. and true, the only God spends time with his people. And I think that's significant, too, because for that short connection I had with the neighbor's horses, uh, we had some neighbors that no longer live in the neighborhood, but they lived here only on the weekends. And they lived in the city during the week, which meant they never spent any time with their horses. So occasionally my kids would work for them and they would go up and feed them and what have you. And occasionally we would wait for the farrier. And occasionally I would get the call. Can you go wait for the farrier? Well, okay, I'll wait for the farrier. And the farrier would come out and make all kinds of comments. I can't believe these people. They don't spend any time with their horses, all of that. I'm thinking, well, what do I know? What I do know is that when I got in the saddle, the horse that I was given was extremely disobedient. So I'm sneezing anyway, and I'm a mess. But that horse was not about to listen to me or his owner because he hadn't been worked with. They hadn't spent time with him. And so there he is slamming me into the side of the barn because he wants me off the off of his back. And what did I know? I mean, I, I, I was very relaxed. I thought it was would be fine. It wasn't that the horse sensed any trepidation from me whatsoever. It was frankly, he just hadn't any time spent with him. And that is the difference too, is I'm hearing your allegory. The symbolism attached to that is that our God spends time with us. And the more time we spend with him, the more like him we become. Yes. Another way you can look at this is horses do not take kindly or respond well to people who show up and they want to just put their nickel in and they get 10 minutes of obedience. Yeah. Then I'll come back later and put my nickel in and get 10, 10 minutes of obedience. And that doesn't work. If we go to the Lord every once in a while and put our nickel of attention in and expect him to bless us right. and reveal to us, he is no more impressed than that horse is. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I love it. I love horses and I just love their big eyes. And after reading that book we talked about, I look at them in a different way. And I think you are so much smarter than most people give you credit for. And I look forward to the day that we can be with the Lord and see him riding his horse and we will be able to talk with them, which will be in a fun and exciting time being able to connect with the animals and pet the, I really, my big goal in, when I get there is I want to pet a lion. That's going to be so cool. <laughs> Oh well, okay. Well, well, something I something I want to throw into this, Janet, if, if I yeah, could, absolutely, is that because of the way I grew up, I was I didn't like people that much because my experiences with them had been difficult. So I loved animals, and this is one of the other things the Lord did with me through all the decades that I made these commitments to horses, and I specialized in stallions, by the way. And this is this is what he did because I learned so much more about God in those times. What that 30 years of working with horses did for me is I came out loving people so that I I work predominantly with people anymore. But it wouldn't have been possible except for the years I studied under the horses. Interesting. Well, you know, there are a lot of people that have placed a higher priority on animals than people. Now, I understand loving animals. I'm an animal lover too. And my heart breaks for animals who are not well cared for. And I don't even want to talk about those that are mistreated. It, it blows my mind and it, it's, it's shattering truly. But I, I'm always mystified about those people who claim to love the environment or animals more than people. And I would love to see a relationship develop for people, like you've just explained, come out of a love for animals. That doesn't always happen. That's true. And the thing is, do they really understand the relationship they have with the animal? A lot of times, 
the, the relationship someone has with an animal is really a crutch. It gives them what they need in the moment. But mm, the, point. the point of the crutch is, is to use it only as long as you need to and then come out of that stronger and whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Just the liberal thinking, you know, where uh, a baby isn't isn't viable, but an animal is. We fight for a tree, but we neglect a person. It's all just so twisted. But I think there is so much merit in looking at animals and nature and understanding God made those things and God's heart is in those things. He's given them life as he's given us life and we should value all of it. You know, yes, it is It is very interesting because when there are these huge questions that get so complex that people cannot reason their way through it, much less be led through it by the Spirit, if if they are fortunate enough to, to have the Holy Spirit in them, we have to go back, in my opinion, to being far more simple. And that is, what do we know to be true? And so comparing, you know, how I feel about a, an animal and, oh, it's horrible to kill this this puppy, to euthanize this puppy in the pound, but it's okay to do abortion. Mm. It's like, let's not, let's not even conflate these two things. Let's go back and let's just address what is the issue. So if the right. issue is abortion, let's just talk about that. So one of the things that, that I, I, I will bring up when this comes up is here, here's what is so curious about human nature and our ability to rationalize. Imagine two twin daughters and they're, they're, they're both 24 years old and, and they're both married. Now let's just say one is married, one is not married, but they're twin daughters. The one who is married calls her parents and her family and she and her husband announce their great joy that they're expecting a baby. So all of a sudden, her parents are, we're going to be grandparents. We have this baby. We're going to start planning. We are so, so excited. And and their lives are going to change because they are anticipating the joy of this new child coming into their family. Well, just about the same time, the twin sister who is not married and she's pursuing her career, she ends up pregnant and she tells her parents, I'm having an abortion. And they're like, well, we support your right to choose. Okay. From from our perspective, it's like, how do we argue? Well, let's let's just go one step further. So let's so we have one twin daughter, same parents and family, who support her right to have an abortion. Okay, go for it. And then the daughter who is pregnant and so delighted calls to tell her parents she suffered a miscarriage. Now, how can we possibly say that one, that the the product of conception, which is what so many people call it, that was aborted, had no value, but we are willing to have a funeral and go to grief counselors and, and just look at this fabulous, horrendous loss that this family feels at the loss of their grandchild. Tell me how that makes sense. Right. I love that you're a logical person. It's a matter of logic. And I don't really even know what to say to that. Because during this recent vote in Kansas, we had here, we had a vote that would have valued them both. And it all it was about was taking the constitutional right out of abortion. But unfortunately, everybody lost their minds and thought it meant everything from outlawing abortion at the very beginning to the very end for various reasons, including rape, etc. And it really had nothing to do with that. If you could extrapolate religion or um, moral thinking from that, it wouldn't have changed the fact that all the vote was about was, is it a Kansas constitutional right or isn't it? It's very simple. I couldn't believe the people that took up arms for that within the church and they voted against it. They said, well, by golly, it is a constitutional right. A woman should be able to have an abortion. For me, it's just, it's illogical thinking. And I haven't spoken out on that, but I guess I am now. (laughs) It just, it blows my mind because wherever you are in the process, if you follow God and you truly honor him and his plan and you know what he thinks on it, 
how can you vote any other way? You know, and that, that I absolutely agree. That's a that's a that's a very good way to look at that. And it goes back to something you and I were talking about earlier, which is in one of my books, uh, Rapture and Revelation. It challenges the reader to know why do you believe what you believe, and so we we have these different beliefs within the church about abortion that are 180 degrees opposite of one another. Yeah. The, the book that follows 15 minutes into eternity, one of the points of that book is what you believe only has power if what you believe is true. Yes. So it is, why do we, why does someone who confesses Jesus Christ at Lord believe that, you know, killing a child and the last time I looked, which when I last researched it was a few years ago, but in the in the uh, authorization, the permission for any woman to have an abortion through planned parenthood, the language in that document said you are killing your baby. It did say that? Yes, absolutely. Does it still say that? I haven't checked, but that was documented in in the abortion chapter in 15 minutes into eternity. When I looked that up, it was like, it's right there. You're killing your baby so that they can't say it was not informed consent. Ah, okay. So so we go back to the question. It's foundational. It's a simple question. Why do you believe that abortion is acceptable? And and let's see, what what is the foundation of that belief? Because someone argued for this because someone you love had an abortion or because you did. And so often we rationalize to protect ourselves or to protect someone else. And, and it, we can be unaware that that's why we believe what we believe. Well, I think it's, it's fear, honestly, Lynn, mm-hmm. because if in your mind you're thinking there is no other way out, I was raped. I don't want to carry this man's child or I can't afford it. I have no money or whatever the issues are in my case. And I've admitted to this and we've talked about this with um, a variety of guests here that there was something that happened to me that I've never really even heard addressed. And that was absolute fear of the father. And so when you have a rape situation, that's one thing if that's it ends there. But if you are truly afraid of the father of that baby and you're living in a liberal state or progressive state like California, for example, back in the 90s, as this was the case, where it doesn't matter what your background is, you could be a registered pedophile practically and still have access to your child because it's your biological child and you have that right. So then you could have a parent or a mom who decides the only way I know how to protect my child is to end its life because otherwise the perpetrator will be allowed access. See what I mean? And I don't even hear that coming up, but that's not part of the dialogue. It's it's a million other things. But even in that case, and to my mind, the worst of cases, If I had known Christ, it would have been different because there wouldn't be any fear of that. Because no matter what we go through as women, no matter what challenge we face, we have a God that's bigger than it. That's the end of it. It's just that simple when you're talking about breaking things down simply. Yeah. And and I absolutely agree with you because God can pivot faster than we have a word describing how quickly he can pivot. Having the abortion, just just as you are using, you're using that experience to serve him in ways you wouldn't have been able to do had you not. But on the other hand, as you just said, if you had not had the abortion, that conception itself was God's work. It was not a surprise to him. Anything that would have happened after that would have been either with God's express or permissive Mm -hmm. approval. So it's still for the child of God, it will still work out all right. You know, go back to Romans, you know, 828. It, all things work. Right. I love that good. verse. It's one of my favorites. He will, God will take any experience you've had, no matter how horrible or otherwise, he can redeem that and he can actually make that a gem on the setting of who you are. Yeah, anything. That's exactly it. So 
I love that you address these sorts of issues. Tell me more about some of your writing. It's so vast. I feel like you have that, all of the series relating to horses. And you have another one called The God Dot. You have the one I think you just made reference to, the war, no, the 15 minutes into eternity, the war between the human spirit and the Holy Spirit. What? Which one would you like to talk about? I mean, I know we don't have time to address them all. And or do you want to just sort of illustrate them as a compilation of what you desire those who read your material to know? I would say that people, depending on their interest or where they are today, will find something in one of the books that would that would support that or address that. Um, the Gospel Horse series, it is. It's, it's Bible study with horses. It gives us a different perspective, but it's really a leadership series. I have been asked to teach that material in, in many places to nurses, to medical staff, to teachers in public schools. And when I'm asked to teach the leadership lessons that are in those books, I always ask, can I use the name of God and Jesus Christ? And they'll say, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. And I said, then I can't So they, that's what I wanted to ask you. So you're saying that even public school systems had asked you to use that as leadership material, a, a series that says the Gospel Horse series? That's amazing. Well, it, like the book Amazing Grace, Amazing Grace, that was, that was the first one. And I was asked by nursing staff, and I was asked by other people, will you come teach this? And it's kind of like, I, I will be happy to teach these principles because they are gospel principles. And I guess out of everything, everything is simple. So the books are, are intended to give, to elevate, to open a window that we haven't opened before, to have a new perspective, to understand our relationship with the Lord, our place in the world, our relationship with other people, whether it is in our family, if it's in the church, if it's politics, if it's in the community, anywhere it is, no matter what the state of those relationships are, it will all come down to simple gospel principles so that we can enjoy the promises that Jesus, he said, you can have peace and joy today. And how do we get that? And then this world, I mean, spiritual warfare, I mean, it's in there. Oh, that's a real thing. Oh, it is real. Yeah. It, It is a real thing. And just like, and if you're interested in that, read 15 minutes into eternity. Um, the God Dot, which is is came out last year, uh, and six of these are were Amazon number one bestsellers. And the God Dot, it basically says God is there always. He is omnipresent. He is with you. When you don't feel that he's there, it's because Somehow you're not expecting him to be there because when his very spirit is within you, he wants you to know it. He wants you to experience. Mm, And there are miracles that happen in life. I've experienced miracles, but, but these are daily things that we grow to, to look for. And in so many cases, I know you and I shared a few things before we, we started uh, speaking on the podcast today that we've had, you know, some really interesting background in our lives, but they were also dots on our, on our map, our journey with the Lord that in, in hindsight, we can look at those and we see how some of those really difficult or tragic things made sense and how we've seen our life come forward from that. We were not victimized. Victimize a victimhood is something we we it's a mantle we put on ourselves. Yeah, well, we I reject need. that mantle. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you, I reject it. I, I mean, I've been through some stuff, and people kind of like you know take a step back, and I'm, I really, I'm fine because I have Jesus. You know, the Holy Spirit that resides inside of me makes it such that it's it's really impossible to accept that mantle. That's not from Him. It's from the enemy. Absolutely. Yeah. And we and we ha- and we have to look. Oh gosh, this is. I'm going to get off track here, but I'm going to get off. Oh, track. you're fine. So That's what I love like doing. The that. books. If you want to enhance your everyday relationship with the Lord, if you want to see Him, if you want to hear Him, read the read the God Dot. It's going to help you see your life 
where it is today, how it makes sense going backwards and how it might go forwards. But the, the spiritual warfare, getting down to very simple things, there are only two spirits in the world, only two. There's the Holy Spirit and there's the other one. There's truth and there's not. <laughs> there's deception. And That's yes. it. It's that simple. And yes. Everything that happens is inspired at its founding level by one of those two spirits. So when yeah. you see something and you just say, I don't understand this, this doesn't make sense with, with God and his word. Well, then if it didn't come from the Holy Spirit, it had to come from the other one. Exactly. And when, and when we look at why do we believe what we believe, this is very important. And today, if, if you even pay any attention to current events, mm. you know the acrimony, you know the hate, you know the words and, and the accusations and the, the vile and the spite that's going on between different people, whether it's one network and another or one label and another conservative, liberal, you know, whatever it happens to be, or even within the church, even within your own congregation. Yeah. There is demonic activity. And when you hear these shrieks and these screams and this, this tone that is coming, that is so frequent in public today, it, in a way, that's demon speak, that's demon shrieking, because you know that is not from the Holy Spirit. Right. So you, you just set back and don't get caught up in that. Do not let that activity that is not from God steal your peace. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. So many things. And I, I feel like you have quite the spectrum from which to choose, you know, which subject I, I you keep bringing these subjects up. So I'm thinking, oh, I have, yeah, let's talk about that. Wait a minute. There's that one. We need to talk about that one. Let me just back up just a little bit. The God dot is really cool. You and I did talk before we began to record today about experiences. And of course, you've all heard, you know, you're greatest pain is your best platform and all of the things and all of the little dots that we experience, God does give you an opportunity to turn those over for something better, for something good. And you and I have, Lynn, quite a background, and both of our backgrounds are full of lots of those little dots. And, you know, I don't regret a one of them. I mean, I think there are some people that would say, oh, you need therapy for this, that, or the other thing. And, and I know that that's important sometimes. But overall, I can just take a stand back and say, I don't regret anything. Because I know that I am where I am today, and I'm in a position to help others with great joy, with the excitement that I know in Jesus. And I can confidently say, yeah, I get that. And I'm relatable. And I'm approachable. And I'm never going to be in a place where I will judge, because I've been through all of this stuff myself. It's junk. <laughs> but we move forward. And I love that that's where you are, too, and that you are able to use your past to write something like The God Dot and to help others through theirs. And you're relatable as well. People who don't haven't had these experiences are probably not going to have as e have the time that we will and we do have in illustrating the goodness of God. And I, you, you are right. Um, and I share that with you. I don't regret any of the experiences that I've had in life. I don't want to relive a lot of them. Right. Same. <laughs> but, but for those, I would not have the confidence. I, one of my favorite songs is the title of it is unshakable, mm -hmm. unshakable. And I, I, I am still waiting for the next thing. Um, there are, they are very few and far between. And just, just when I need it, God will send something to say, okay, now how I'm going to challenge you on this. And the challenge is always from him. And I know it is, it works out on earth and in a, in a regular event, but I'm, I know this is, Ah, okay, I need another lesson here. There is no, there's, there's always another lesson. There's always yeah, another level. Always. <laughs> and your faith is strongest when it is tested. And because you, because I, and because so many of your listeners, they have experienced what the world would call horrific things. 
And they've come out of it with their peace and their joy because their faith now is so strong that even in this, God was there. He brought me out. And when you look back and you identify your God depth as those things, you say, this was all part of the plan. I, I, for example, I work with um, a pastor in Zimbabwe. And he, he was telling me that he, after working with him for maybe a year and a half, he, he said, you know what? I used to look at my, my early years as, as detrimental. They, they held me back. His early years, I, I, anything you and I have been through, just from the little I know of you and what I know of my own life, pale right. in comparison to his, I mean, when he was when he was like three years old, four years old, five years old, six years old. And now he looks at all of those and he says, those are the things that made me today callable in the way the Lord is calling me. Those have given me power. Those weren't things that held me back. Those were not detriments. Those gave me the power to answer the call that the Holy Spirit has on me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, amen. Well, and I was going to say, you know, the reason that I said what I did earlier is I don't believe in comparing, but I will say I have been Mm -hmm. in groups where for those who were raised in the church, and I was not, they do have different experiences in me because thankfully they knew Christ earlier than I did. And they didn't make some of the foolish mistakes I chose to make because I didn't have that affiliation, that relationship with him. And so there are times where one can, such as yourself, you probably feel this way too, Lynn, feel, oh my goodness, I don't have a sanitized version of life. It, you know, it looks different. And I think we we do have to be careful not to compare, although I do see some benefit in that when you look at that pastor in Zimbabwe, we all just have our experiences. And we all, no matter what things look like to the observer, it we all have experiences to one degree or another. None of sanitized is not a good word to use for a life because we all have issues, no matter where we are, where we've been raised. They just look different sometimes. And I think it's important we own them, I guess is what I'm trying to articulate because yeah, for a while I felt bad or embarrassed because, you know, I I did come to know Jesus and I did raise my children differently. And when I did come with each of my children, when they got to be a certain age, I revealed my own story to them. And uh, there were some that, that took it better than others. And I know one in particular, I had to tell her, I said, well, you wouldn't be so upset with me right now if I had raised you differently. And so my point is in getting in putting myself in a different environment, I did come across people that felt different than me. And I was worried about judgment is what I'm saying. And yet I don't, I choose not to go there. I choose to instead laud the differences and know that you, they're being used to, to make me relatable to others that need to hear it, need to hear the message. Absolutely. And the thing about, see, I, I, I have no concern about judgment from anybody and I just don't, um, because after the years of working with horses, this I know, no one acts out, whether it's verbally, physically, or any other way, no one acts out except from a place of fear and insecurity. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. No, no one who is really confident in themselves and in the Lord is, is going to be in attack mode or in judgment mode because they know what would happen. They, they know Matthew 7, 1 through 3 there, because if I judge this way, I can expect to be judged that same way. You know what? I know better than that. So I'm not going. That there. scares me, actually, Lynn. I'm, I always catch myself like when Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. It's the same thing. Like, I don't want to be that Christian that looks at another and goes, hmm she's not dressed the right way or, huh, she's not listening to the right music. No, thank you. Not for me. Not going to judge ever. <laughs> and, and you're right. And for, and for that, I look at those people and all they're doing is, is their behavior. I'm a behaviorist. And we could go into the difference between attitude and behavior, which one has power and which one doesn't. I'm a behaviorist. It's, it's always, 
what you do is the window to your true heart. It's not what you say. So when I see someone in a church or I hear someone that is 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 being judgmental or saying something like that, I I go, I wonder what it is in their spirit that is inspiring that because we know it's not power in the Lord that's inspiring that. It isn't that they're so right. It's that somehow they have a fear or an insecurity. And that's what I'm receiving right now. Yeah. Well, I want to say, you know, I want to also talk about your book, 15 Minutes into Eternity. And I and I want to apologize to you and to those listening. I've been all over the place. We've been all over the, <laughs> the place today with our various topics. But Lynn has such a wealth of knowledge and so such a broad reach. And I think what it boils down to, no matter what book we're talking about of Lynn's or what perspective, it's simple but logical. Her advice is simple but logical. And I love the logic part of it. I'm all about logic because logic is where truth resides. So having said that, your book, 15 Minutes into Eternity, The War Between the Human Spirit and the Holy Spirit, is something that really caught my attention online recently because of a Facebook post that you had. And I thought, wow, this woman, I love her. I love what she said, because you were talking about that book and you had said something like, you know, you're beginning to think that you need to dust it off. <laughs> so fewer people will be shocked to hear these words one day, depart from me, I never knew you. And so that's what really really grabbed my attention that you are willing to speak truth. And I think there are so few people that are willing to do that now because they don't want to offend delicate sensibilities on either side. So tell me a little bit about that. The 15 minutes into eternity, you explained to me what that meant earlier, and I loved it. So if you would share that with our listeners, that'd be great. I'd, I'd be happy to. 15 minutes into eternity it came about over the course of 30 years, because it revolves around the year 1859. In the year 1859, up until that point in human history, every person knew that they were not the top of the food chain, no matter what deity or idol that they worshipped or acknowledged, they knew darn well it wasn't them. They couldn't control the weather. They couldn't raise the dead. They couldn't do anything. So they always knew there was something more powerful than them. In 1859, and this is well, uh, <laughs> all the information is in the book. So it's not just what I'm telling you. You're going to be so surprised at what happened in the year 1859. Oh, you're not going to tell us. I was going to ask oh, what the happened. List is, the, li oh, the list <laughs> is long. The list is long. I'll just tell you a couple of things that happened. In 1859, Charles Darwin published uh, On the Origin of Species. Oh, shoot. Okay. That happened in 1859. In 1859, some of the first medical schools were established. In 1859, it was the beginning of the Civil War with, with uh, John Brown. 1859 was when they started talking about solar flares. In 1859, it was talking about climate change because of gases. 1859, everything changed in literature, science, and religion. Humanism took, came to the forefront. And in 1859, all of human history that said there is God who is over man. In 1859, that switched to where man is over God. Abortion was on the news. Children doing drugs was on the news. All those things. The, the border with Mexico was on the news. Everything in 1859 is, is still, it has just exacerbated. And now people believe what men say, not what God says. So that's just kind of like a little thing to tempt people in. But the book is about this. So wait, I before you go on, uh, just yeah. sorry to interrupt, but so it really was connected with the Great Awakening. And so it wasn't just one thing, but it was just a lot of different things. Yes. Dispensationalism. Interesting. Um, John, Nelson, John Nelson Darby, that his his publication came to the U.S. at that point. It's, it's when they first had professional sports. It's when they first had the very first dog show. Uh, I mean, everything 
everything changed in 1859. My husband got to the point where I used to say, hey, did you know when this happened? He'd go 1859. <laughs> yes. Well, let me ask and, you, how did you, what brought this to your attention? Well, this is why I say it's happened over 30 years. When I was in college, I was taking a, a level, a, a class on the history of psychology. And the there was only a midterm and a final. And the midterm was 20 questions, essay questions. And on the day it came to take that, the professor said, okay, just go ahead and schedule office hours because you will not finish this test in the, in the class period. Hmm. The first question out of 20 was trace the history of science. Oh, for crying out loud. (laughs) No, from 550 BC to 1859. Oh, interesting. I've never, for, for many reasons, I've never forgotten that question. Interesting. It yeah. was there. Years later, I was asked to comment on evolution. And so I had to research and it was like, okay, so I, I researched um, Darwin and, you know, Dar- Darwin, just a little tidbit, Darwin had a college degree. Do you know what it was? I don't. I'm thinking. Divinity. Ah, uh, goodness. His His training was to be a preacher, a cleric, but he was really, really mad at God. There are so many tidbits in this book about how we got to where we are and how people rationalized God from being all-powerful and loving into being the enemy. Hmm. And they've been preaching that God is the enemy ever since. It's really, if you want to get simple, here's the simple. It's Genesis 3. What was the sin? It was believing the rationality that this that the serpent sold over what God said. Eve knew exactly. She could quote what God said, but you know what? The serpent said, surely God, God didn't say that because if he did, that means he he's either a big meanie for not wanting you to have something good for you, or you really didn't understand what he said. And that is exactly where we are now, that everyone now they have to they will they are happy to judge what god said from their position rather than judging their position from what god said you know i'm sitting here thinking wow 1859 you know it's not like we had a lot of arguments over god before but it was over who he is i think of luther in 1517 nailing the 95 theses on the door in wittenberg mm-hmm. those kinds of monumental earmarks in time stand out, but I guess I had never considered when there was any definitive or if there was any definitive time when we went from squabbling about who God is to squabbling if he even exists. Exactly. As a matter of fact, 18, uh, 15 minutes into eternity includes a brief history of the Christian church from the beginning, from the birth of Christ all the way through the present Wow! with all of the major, everything that major it's in it. It, it has, you know, what happened to the United States? Why is the United States where it is today? So it has that political history. And as I was telling you earlier, because it goes into evolution, climate change, LGBTQ, abortion, racism, slavery, economics, it does go into those with short chapters, but what it presents is not my opinion, and it absolutely does bring the Bible into everything, but that is not the basis for proof. What I bring into that book is here's what everybody else says is the reason why I believe it. Here's what the science is, and therefore this is what I believe. This is what the greatest scholars think, and therefore this is what I believe. This is what the church taught me, and therefore this is what I believe. And so I simply take those things and turn a bright, logical light on them and mm-hmm. say, okay, let's just look at their evidence. And when, when you look at the evidence, you walk away going, why would I believe this? Right. Well, and I love what you said earlier to me before we started recording. You said, when I use the Bible as as refutable logic, irrefutable logic to those who don't want to believe it, there's no point. I mean, I can't really use the Bible, even though we know the Bible is true and we wouldn't refute a thing in it, you're right. You just need to have logic prevail and take that out for those who won't come to terms with the truth of it. Does that make sense? I don't know that I said that right. No, it absolutely does. 
but we we don't even understand we're we're not aware of what we're doing. It goes back to what we said earlier that none of us can look at ourselves completely objectively. You know, when you when someone comes to you with a problem, so many times you can just look at you know exactly what their problem is, but they can't mm-hmm. see it because they're in the middle of it. Right. And so we need to have a way to to have something come from the outside that we can then look at and walk through when the finger isn't just pointing at us. How did our how did our education system get to be the way it is? Mm-hmm. Why are people teaching what, what they're, they're teaching. teaching? Yes. Yeah. And and the book answers that question. And the, and the format of the book, the framework, and, and you and I talked about this early, it's this simple. When you leave your present condition, and Janet, if we've talked about this when it's been recording, please tell me we've already been here so I don't go in the same place twice. Oh, it's okay. I think we need to rehear it if you do. <laughs> it's okay. So 15 minutes after we pass from this world, we've taken our last mortal breath. We are going to be at our permanent address we're either going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ or we're not. And, and you can't get a transfer mm-hmm. between them. You're stuck. Now, if you just consider this choice of where do we want to spend eternity? Because the choice that we truly have, the simple choice that we all have today is between God and not God. There is no third choice. Right. We either choose God or something else. Period. So when we when we're looking at eternity, what we believe is going to affect where we end up. So if there's two doors, you know, here we are. We're about to to enter our our permanent address. One door is identical with the other door. They both have the same sign. Both doors say, "This is the truth." The other is a lie. And you're like, "Oh my goodness!" Both doors say they're the truth, and the other mm-hmm. is a lie. When your hand reaches out to open a door, if it's reaching out because of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be spending eternity with Jesus Christ. If that hand reaches out through your human spirit, you will not be spending eternity with Jesus Christ. Well, and I think there's a lot of people that would say, well, I can do things my own way. That's not the way I see it. That may be well and good for you because that's the way you see it, but I don't. I think I have the ability to choose. But then we get back to just the logic of it. Okay. If we were to take all of science, and I would argue all of history, the evidence is there. You can extrapolate anything that you want to make it confined or fit your perspective, your worldview, but that still doesn't change the truth of it. And if you look at history, and I I love looking at history because all of the evidence is there. It's crazy. It's almost as clear as scientific evidence is for the fact that there is a God and he is who he says he is. And you better choose wisely because it's not up to you to decide who he is. Yeah. And you're, and you're, I think you're so right about history. What is, what is one of the strategies the enemy is using on us today? And that is to change history or to eliminate it altogether. Because if you don't know your history, then you'll believe what others rewrite about it or, or worse, you'll not see how it, definitely is practically applicable to your life today. And you you can't see all of the ways from the beginning of time that God, there's evidence for a God and there's evidence for an enemy. And the only way that an enemy who is not creative can exist throughout the centuries and to continue to replicate the same old thing, the same old, I mean, it may look a a little bit different on occasion, but he's still doing the same thing he did from the very beginning of time. There's no real deviation to it. So that yes, is testimony right. when you look at it for me, as I've studied all of the secret mystery religions and occult practices all the way through Freemasonry and beyond. I've, I've done it all and I've taught on it, both high school and adult classes. There is such evidence for what the Bible says about someone named Satan who has prevailed over the centuries and is still around still kicking up the same old ball and the same old dust, the same old thing, because he can't come up with anything else creative, but people are still buying it. Amen. (laughs) It's just amazing to me. Anyway, uh, I, one of the things I wanted to say, and I know, I know we need to wrap it up and I wanted to ask you about miracles, but 
I did get online and I saw one of your five-star reviewers had said something about this book that I just loved. And she she wrote, Isaiah 520 says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Is this not exactly what is being done at every turn these days as God's words of truth and love are changed into something vile and the vile actions of humanity are protected and exalted? So I thought that was very well said and and I love it. I, I need to check your book out. You look like it looks like I have a lot of books to to read that you've that you've written. So that's very, very awesome. Um I also wanted to ask you, Lynn, and I I don't know how you feel about answering these questions. I didn't ask you this earlier, but how do you know God is real? Or what has been the single biggest piece of evidence you have for his existence? You know, it's an easy, it's easy for me to answer the question. Um, I have no personal memory of not knowing that God was there. And now and through the God dot experience, I came to understand why that was. So just very briefly, I, when I was two years old, I knew God was there. I always knew he was there. It, it was never a question. It's just like the sun comes out during the day. I'm not going to question. It just it's, is. Now, were you raised so, by Christian parents? They would say they were, and I know they tried. Uh, my grandfather was a Lutheran minister. Um, but just like we've said earlier, people are products of their experience. Yeah, and both of my sure. parents, have they had their own stories mm-hmm. that impacted how they raised my brother and myself that impacted the decisions that I then made and that contributed to a lot of my early angst. Um, so I've always known God was there for, for a long time. He did not speak to me personally. I would hear somebody else talk and I would go, okay, that was a message for me from the Lord, but I didn't even hear those until such time as I started being receptive to that. Oh, I had periods of such rebellion. I have more than once, both as a, as a, both in humility and not railed at the Lord. Mm-hmm. You know, I, you know, I've tried to do it right. I've thought I was doing it right. And this is what you do. This well, is what yeah. you do. <laughs> We've all had those moments, Lynn. Yes, yeah. So we all know. To, to where not that many years ago, something new came up. Uh, my, mom, my mother has been dead a long time, but something about her came up that pretty much shattered the last foundation of, of normal childhood and family relationships that I thought I had. And I went onto the backyard and I just said, Lord, what am I to do with this? And I said, this is the reason I know what the God is real is because he communicates as Francis Schaeffer says, he is the God who is there. Mm-hmm. He's there. That's how I know. Well, and I love thinking sometimes when we look back on our past mistakes and we think about the future that God outside of time is back with us right mm-hmm. now in time. He's with us by our sides as we make those mistakes, just as he is at the other end of our lives now, welcoming us home. It's mind blowing to think that. But he's in every single moment, every step of the way he's with us. Exactly. And he wants us to look that, and this is the God dot book. He wants us to see these, these intimate signs and markers and connections mm-hmm. that he has for us everywhere. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, it is just, it's been a pleasure having you on today. And thank you for navigating this, this conversation, which we know the spirit was in charge of. (laughs) And it was fun to sort of be all over the place and talk about all of these things. It's like, it's like being in a candy store, right? Or actually a donut (laughs) shop. Will I take the apple fritter or the chocolate clay store? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's a bad example, but it's it's just so fun. Because they all come (laughs) from the same batter. Exactly. Oh my goodness. It's so fun. And I just love getting to know people and, and having coffee with girlfriends and just being able to talk about all of these things to explore God sort of very freely as the spirit leads us. And uh, that was the case today. So it was really, really great. We started with horses and we ended with, I don't know, the great awakening. That was awesome. I love it. There you go. Anything else you want to leave our listeners with today, Lynn? 
I would just invite them, if you would like to connect, I believe in connection and relationship above everything else. If you go to my website, which is lynnbaber.com, I'm sure there'll be a link to it somewhere that you can get from Janet. Um, on, on most yes. of the major pages, you're going to see an opportunity to sign up for my newsletter. And, and it comes out truly as the spirit leads. And it's really conversation that just, and, and that's what I want with the people who read, receive my emails conversation. So when I send something out, it's as the spirit gave me a message, it's application, it's our real lives, it's how we share life walking with Jesus Christ, that that the things that look dark, the things that are blessed. And I am just so fortunate that when I send out an email, I get a lot back from my readers because conversation and connection is everything. And I would invite you if if you have any interest to come join us. Yes, it's just been a pleasure getting to know you. And thank you so much, the rest of you for listening in today. And I will absolutely have all of Lynn's information up in the show notes. And wherever you find yourself today, please remember that you are relevant, you are influential, and you are called to unveil truth for color, to light the world with color, to share your color. I hope you'll continue to join us on Color Speak wherever you find your podcasts and on Grace and Truth Radio World. This is J.M. Huxley for Truth Talk on Color Speak, unveiling truth for light and color.